Hello everyone and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I'm here with you today on the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. Oh, friends made through the virtual waves, listeners across the universe. We've had some exciting discussions this spring uh, about female ambition and conflict in YA literature, and most recently on nonfiction. And I think for this episode, appearing in the fall, we are bringing all of these topics together into one amazeballs conversation for, oh, listeners, be tingly with me here. Our guest is none other than Ryan Groudon. I know. Spirit fingers, jazz hands, and glitter balls. Yes. Ryan is the author of The Walled City, which received numerous starred reviews and much acclaim. A very uh, engaging, inventive, gripping, challenging piece of fiction. And her most recent ser- series is Wolf by Wolf and Blood for Blood. Wolf by Wolf receiving starred reviews from PW and Voya and Blood for Blood from Booklist most recently. Now, I could tell you simply that Wolf by Wolf and Blood for Blood are works of alternative history, but there's so much more. I could tell you that these books, the story of Yael, are YA novels of adventure and thrills, but there's so much more. So first, I would like to welcome Ryan Groudon to the podcast and say, Ryan, what is this book? That is a very good question, and it is something that I had to kind of discover as I was writing it. Um, I set out to write an alternate history, um, like you were saying, because as an author, I love tackling different genres and really challenging myself anew with each uh, book I write. And uh, so, yeah, like the base of it is alternate history, but then it also grew... Um, into something uh, of a more speculative nature uh, with Yael's ability to skin shift and take on the face of uh, basically any female. Um, but it's also a kind of a travel narrative when you, when you have a long-distance motorcycle race that goes from uh, Tokyo, or no, sorry, it goes from Germania, which is Berlin, all the way to Tokyo. With that motorcycle race, you have a lot of action adventure. So it's definitely a mishmash blend of all sorts of different genres that I know and love and tried to weave together into something new. I enjoy genre. I do. I love genre fiction. This is true. Uh, But I love the sort of upending of genre uh, that you've done in these books. I want to start with the base of alternative history. These books are set in the mid-50s in a world in which the Axis powers won World War II. And if we think of history as written by the winners, what do you think is the attraction of alternate history as, as a genre? I mean, thinking about this world in which Germany and Japan, the Axis powers, get to write their own narrative what the meaning of World War II was. What do you think is the attraction of alternative history as a genre, and what does it say about us as readers and writers? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. Um, so I have always been fascinated uh, with history, and actually, unfortunately, growing up, I didn't have very good history teachers. Um, so it's kind of amazing that my love of history uh, it survived uh, all of that. I had a, a history teacher um, in high school who didn't want 
she was a U.S. history teacher. She didn't want to teach about war because she thought it was too icky and terrible. And so we just skipped all of the wars in U.S. history, which is basically there was there was nothing left for her to teach. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going so to stop. I have to stop you. I yeah. do. Because you broke my mind a little bit. She didn't want to teach about the wars in U.S. His, did this include the Revolutionary War? Yes. Did it include yeah, the Civil so War? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, we're, I, I want to get too off track, so let's go back to alternate history and your fascination. But I'm going to file that yeah, away, and then yeah. later, you and I, after we've, done, we've hit the end of the record button, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, because you did just break my mind. So I had... I had pretty terrible history teachers throughout uh, high school and part part way into university, unfortunately. Um, but I also uh, read outside of school really widely, um, really found myself gravitating toward World War II and that era and realizing what a disservice those teachers had done to me by glossing over these huge conflicts and these huge, like, formative places uh, in our world's history. And I think one of the reasons history is so important and it's, you know, it's such a critical thing for kids to learn these days is the fact that I kind of would argue that people throughout history, um, human nature has essentially remained unchanged. Like, if you go to Pompeii and you look at the graffiti that the ancient Romans used to write on mm -hmm. the walls, Thelonious uh, got pissed off at the, the pub today or something like that. And you're like, <laughs> oh, people are basically the same throughout history. Um, and so I think, you know, when you look back and you regard history, you can also see um, a roadmap for how human nature impacts the world around it. And I think it's really important for us to, to look back so that we can also look forward. And I think that alternate history is a really great way of kind of making sense of that roadmap, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. If, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so history is totally written by the victors. But if we look back and see, oh, what if this had gone a little bit differently? We can see how history would have branched off. And so we can look at the choices that we have ahead of us as a culture, as a world. Um, and really kind of interweave those two things. So I think it's really important that we look at alternate history and look at the consequences of what happened and what didn't happen. That provides a greater context for us going into the future. I think it is an interesting, it's a fascinating thought experiment. And it, I, I like how you've discussed it. We kind of take from our history books the idea that it was a foregone conclusion that the narrative is set, but it wasn't set. And we, and people during World War II didn't really know what was going to happen. And so to revisit those that atmosphere of live choices where you don't know what's going to happen does sort of reinform how we think in our own time about what are the choices that we are making. I, I really... Yeah. I love that in terms of, well, myself as an adult, but thinking again about YA literature, if we think about that as the place where teens have to really start making their own world and taking control of their own lives. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But now I'm thinking also uh, about this, rethinking choices and, and rethinking uh, about the script almost, that the script is not set. It's not, we don't know the end of the play. But your characters, Yael and Felix and all, and all of these other characters, they're almost players within a play 
they're each having to fulfill highly artificial propaganda roles, you know, as part of the race, or they have secret roles that they are all wearing, each of them is wearing a series of masks. Um, thinking about them within this, these characters within this giant historical framework and wearing these masks, how do you think about the individual characters? How do these characters, I'm going to try to ask this in a, like a not super highfalutin way, but still something that, you know, really gets to it. We think about ourselves having our own authentic voice and authentic identity that bubbles up within us. So do you see where I'm getting at with the play of historical forces versus the roles that these characters have to play? How do they describe or discover their own authentic selves and, and, and deal with that? And how do you as an author sort of portray those struggles? Did that make any sense at all? Yes. <laughs> Yay me! All right. Yeah, let's dive in. One of the things that really drew me to World War II in the first place um, when I was reading on my own um, about history and, and studying these things is that I think that era in time is such a prime example of humanity forced to, like, both extremities of the spectrum. You have people who commit heinous crimes against humanity um, and really just evil, evil acts. Uh, and then on the other side of things, you have people who decide to risk their lives to save others. I think in in a, a society like Nazi Germany, um, which is incredibly totalitarian, you have very little to show your true self, um, especially if it goes against the government, would has a lot of dire consequences. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it just sort of takes the... The idea that people people wear masks, I do think that it's something that happens like nowadays and every day, and that like we all have a sort of persona that we like to project to um, people when we think they're watching, and then we have our true selves, and how often those combine or meld, you know, it it just depends on sort of who you're with, who you want to be vulnerable with, and so in this story, Yael. She is basically vulnerable with no one um, at this point in the story, or very few people. And her, her five wolf tattoos on her arm all represent people in her life who she has been vulnerable with in the past or has shown glimpses of her true self to. But they also reveal a huge loss um, to her because terrible things have happened to these people. The idea of being vulnerable translating itself into pain in this world is, is very clear for Yael. And so when she goes into this race and has to assume the identity of someone else, she's determined to wear a mask and completely disassociate herself from the people around her because she can't be Yael. She's Adele. But then her relationships with people, which start out as something that is completely disingenuous and just an act, you know, inevitably emotions start to tangle things and she starts to realize that she becomes vulnerable without knowing that she was. So I think the the intention of identity and uh, the propaganda rules really gets, it starts off as a very black and white thing at the beginning of the series um, and towards the end. It, it becomes very mixed up, and <laughs> I don't want to say too much without, like, spoiling things, but this also um, comes into fruition for other characters in the series. They have to stop and realize they're, 
who they're trying to portray in this world and at what cost does being your true self and like following your convictions and your conscience is it worth that cost in that world I, I don't think it's spoilerific to say, and because we've already mentioned this before, but Yael has developed a very unique ability in that she is able, she's called a skin changer and she's able to adopt the appearance of, uh, of other female persons. Do you think that this ability, however else it's physiologically triggered in her, does that come out of her understand, her very deep understanding that this is a survival mechanism? that this ability to change face, to adapt an acceptable face or a survival face mm-hmm. is, is something that she must, a skill she has to develop. So it's an extreme evolution right there at the moment. Yeah, very, very possibly. Um, I, I do think like that's how she chooses to use the, the ability. And she actually, one of her, her friends, Miriam in the camp who realizes that that's how she can use the ability to survive. Um, and encourages her to do that. So yeah, I do think there's there's some like extreme. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, the, but I was like, um, sorry, go, I did have a few more thoughts. Go ahead. With the um, yeah, with like the the culture. Um, and if you look back at like true history, I've always been really really interested in um, not how how Germany became Nazi Germany um, and just the response of, like, the general population, like, those people who weren't necessarily in the Nazi party who were just kind of looking on in horror as these things started to happen. And there, there were people who, like, boldly protested. Um, and one of those people, uh, her name was Sophie Scholl, and she mm-hmm. was actually, she was a young person, so she was, um, she kind of grew up while Hitler was taking power, and she belonged to a very intellectual family in Germany, and they had a lot of discussions and really opposed what Hitler was doing and opposed the Nazi party. And she actually went to the University of Munich during the war. And um, she and her siblings decided to found what was known as like the White Rose Resistance. Um, And they started answering to their consciences. They handed out anti-Nazi pamphlets. They ended up getting discovered and arrested for it. And ultimately, she was executed by the Nazis in 1943. But one of the things that she said in the court, she said, what we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did. That just shows that very few people, maybe many people felt this way, but very few people had the courage to act upon those things and really take their true convictions to that level of sacrifice. That is so fascinating to me because going back to your point about vulnerability with the masks, Yael... You know, she has a vulnerability and she has her emotions. And so her mask becomes slightly more real to her. This is a disturbing thought. How much do we want to think about the the masks that we adopt and the conformity that we practice and, and how much of that becomes internalized for us and how much do we make the mask real? Yeah, that goes into like the whole nature versus nurture question too of like, you know, how much the person we become, what are the ingredients that go into that, you know? And the, <laughs> and the degree of complicity with something that we disagree with. So, for example, those people who agreed with the White Rose members, with Sophie and her siblings, but didn't have the courage to say out, speak out, what is that degree of culpability that those silent 
people had within themselves. That's a fascinating yeah. topic. And I wonder if Yael, if, if we were to talk to her 10 or 20 years after the race, mm-hmm. how would she think about the realness of her masks or how fully she inhabited that role? And did she ever feel a sense of, of complicitness or guilt that would be fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, and I think there's there's something to be said about choice, like um, an autonomy in that. The well, that I did, know what I'm trying to say. Yes, I think so because <laughs> I um I have this formulation about the real the thing that distinguishes YA lit from uh, either literature that is firmly for an adult audience or for middle grade literature is that why lit- it's not a matter of the age chronological age of the characters but it is the sort of thing that happens in YA where teens are taking moral control over their lives in a way they did not do and it's a time of firsts so it's is it the faith of my fathers or what I truly believe is it family of origin or family of choice firmly um asserting the power of their moral independence, but also the consequences of their moral independence. And Uh I think that's fascinating in a general uh, setting of, you know, I want this boy to like me, but he likes my best friend. What am I going to do? But you have set the stakes very high with your story of world historical forces, but does it really, is it really just so grand and epic? Is Yao making great, giant, epic choices? Or is she making, are these really very fundamental, smaller choices that just get blown up because of circumstances? Yeah, I think more so the latter. There are certainly choices that would only happen within the context of a world that's so extreme, like, you know, choosing to deceive a camp commandant by turning into his daughter and stuff like that, but I think that most of, especially in Wolf by Wolf, within the context of the Axis tour, like, there are, like, life and death situations within that race as well, but I think a lot of her just interactions with people and with the other racers do boil down to very simple interactions that you could find, like, in a a high school down the road today or something like that, Um, but they do their consequences become that much more accelerated by the fact that it's in this terrible world with these terrible forces. So then we've come back full circle to the beginning of the conversation with alternate history and, and using that genre as a way of rethinking that period of history. And what would we do if we were there? And yet sort Mm -hmm. of, we are there now because we are making the same sorts of choices people in that era had to make. Yeah. That, that's a question, actually, I, I get a lot from people. They're like, you know, what, what would you do if you were, you know, in Nazi Germany or in World War II? And would you, like, make the choice to what Schindler did? And, you know, I would love to say, yes, that's exactly what I would do. But I, I think, honestly, like, you have absolutely no idea what your choice will be until you're in that situation, like, which goes back to, like, the the consequences versus the intention. Or um, you, I, you know. <laughs> could take as your guide, what are you doing now? And let that moment of honesty 
feed back into what would I have done. Right. Right. And so that may I'm be very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it is definitely um, a discussion or at least food for thought for people, um, and especially young readers coming up now to, to really consider as we go forward, especially in this, we're, I feel like we're also in like very, we can be in very uncertain times too, or like on the brink of possible uncertain times. So yeah, I just think it's, it's good to think about these things and to think about the choices we'll have in the future for what path to take. Well, I'm terribly sorry you had a bad history teacher. But the silver lining is that you got interested in history and you started to think about it creatively so that we have your books. Yeah. So you're a little spoiled for choice of which, what, what would you rather have a good history teacher or be super fired up about history and, and write these books because you discovered thinking about this in your own way. I'm not sure. But now I think about my own obsession with Nixon just a little bit differently. So, but that's food for thought for me. And not for everybody else. And if my mother, who does listen to the podcast, hears me talk, if she hears me talk about Nixon one more time, <laughs> it's not going to go well at dinner. We've had that conversation before. Ryan, thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast. I have many uh, things to ponder. My, I, I almost can't talk, partly because I'm under caffeinated, but partly because I have big thoughts in my brain right now. And I think a book that gives you big thoughts is a pretty good book. I don't know about you listeners in the universe, but I want my books to give me big thoughts. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Will you say goodbye to the audience? Of course. Goodbye. Thank you so much for having me. And this has been Victoria Stapleton with Little Brown Books for Young Readers and the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. We'll talk at you next time. Mm -hmm.